sixth week of our Ruth sermon series. I hope that y'all have been blessed by it. Um, it's been like a process in the making. Uh, I just, y'all, it's good to hear some good teaching and the book is from the perspective of a woman and I just, I love it. I love it. Um, so we have our final teaching, our final installment for today. And I just want to introduce, I'm not really introducing her, but I am. So uh, I just am really grateful for Ashley Mejias. She... I could actually cry right now, but she's the reason I'm here. She doesn't know that. I remember one time I was in the office as an intern a thousand years ago, and I was cold. And I was just like, it's freezing in this office. And Ashley literally took her teeny tiny sweater and gave it to me. And she was like, here, warm up. Literally like took the clothes off of her back and gave it to me. And I'd never seen anything like that in my entire life. And I just like, yo, this is a place that I have to be. And Ashley's friendship and wisdom has meant the world to me. So hear from her. Open your hearts. Open your ears. Um, I pray that God's word falls on good ground, good soil. But we got to participate in that. It doesn't just become good soil just out of nowhere. Amen. So actively engage. And um, let's welcome her with a round of hand clap of praise. This is, this is my, um, I don't know, house church. I get that. I get that. I'm sorry. I'm really bad at uh, proper names for groups of people gathering in homes. Um, this is my group of people that gathers in my home over here. Um, they're a little rowdy. Uh, oh, sorry. And I'm also not. I didn't do pageants, so I'm not good at this. I also had to write down, "Hello, my name is Ashley Mejias" on my piece of paper today, and that's my child. Um, I'm so excited to get to be with you all today. Um, So let's get right to it, um, and then I'll start talking. So do I have a slide? Is there a slide for me? Okay. Um, If you'll stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Um, Our passage today is from Ruth, chapter 1. We're going back to where we began. We're ending where we began. Um, Our verses are verses 16 through 22. So listen as we read from the Word of the Lord. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, even if death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. 
They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, have a seat. All right. So, as I said, my name is Ashley. Um, my family and I have lived here in the East End for about eight years, or a little more than eight years, and I haven't been around much lately because I have been preaching at um, a Korean church. A Korean church. Um, my house church also loves this. Uh, and it's over in North Chesterfield. Uh, my oldest daughter would like you to know that it's close to the Chuck E. Cheese, if you're looking for a landmark. Um, nearby. So um, we're close to Chuck E. Cheese, and I'm there every Sunday morning preaching. And um, it's a really, really precious group of people. They're very faithful. They're very quiet. It's really different from Easton Fellowship. Um, <laughs> there's no wooing. Um, <laughs> they're extremely devoted to mission. Um, but it's definitely been a different experience, and I've really missed getting to be here with you all. Um, so I'm there every Sunday, and um, then I also am with my house church every other week. So, But I've also been listening to the sermons that you all have been listening together to each week on the book of Ruth for the past five weeks, and this week makes six. And I kind of can't believe that I get to do the concluding message. That is really exciting. So... Um, I feel really blessed to get to do that, in part because I love the book of Ruth. I think it's kind of a standalone book in our entire biblical canon for a lot of different reasons. Um, But also because I think that we can never talk enough about God's faithfulness to us. So before we start today, I want to do a really quick recap of the book of Ruth, just because I know in a group of this size, not everyone has been here every single week for our sermon series. So I want you to bear with me. I'm going to do about three minutes on the story of the book of Ruth. If you've been here every week and this is repeat, you can play whatever, like you can do word warp on your phone or you know, text your buddy across the way. That's what I would do. Um, here we go. Okay. Our story opens on a nice Jewish family. They have a problem. That problem is famine, and it hits Bethlehem, which forces Elimelech and his wife Naomi to move east to Moab with their two sons. They live there for about ten years. The sons get married. They marry Ruth and Orpah, and during this time, everything's okay. Or so it seems. One by one, Elimelech and his two sons die, and this leaves Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah without a man their need of help. Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem, and her daughters-in-law pack up their luggage, and they join her. Naomi begs the girls to stay behind, and while Orpah is convinced, and she hightails it back to Moab, Ruth says no. She says, I am staying with you. Her devotion to Naomi involves forsaking her own God, her own people, her own land, and she leaves all of this behind to become a part of Naomi's life. Her stubbornness pays off, and Naomi lets her tag along. In Bethlehem, things are hard. Naomi is feeling down and out, so Ruth goes to glean in the barley fields. There, Ruth happens to run into this really well-known rich guy. His name is Boaz. He likes Ruth, and he offers her all these extra gleaning privileges. Ruth Boaz is also a relative of Naomi's late husband, which is pretty important because Boaz would have an obligation to marry Ruth and provide for her family. When Naomi hears about Boaz and what a great guy he is, she comes up with a plan. She decides that Ruth is going to snag him as a husband. She tells her daughter-in-law to visit Boaz at night in secret 
and lie at his feet. Ruth does what her mother-in-law asks. Boaz is surprised, and he sees this cute girl from the fields, and he understands that she's pretty interested in him. He tells Ruth that he would love to marry her, but there's this other relative, and he's got even closer ties to her. Boaz sets out to meet this guy. Everyone is left to hold his or her breath while we find out to see who Ruth is going to end up with. Well, it turns out that this relative is interested in buying some land that Naomi has, but he's much less interested in taking her daughter-in-law as a wife. So they strike a deal. The other guy renounces his claim on Ruth, and Boaz is free to marry her. They get married. They have a son, which makes everyone happy. The women in the town name the baby Obed, and he goes on to be the grandfather of King David, and we know what happens after that. The Book of Ruth. Okay. So, as today, we're going to wrap up our time in this book. I want to bring us back to the biblical notion of hesed. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll remember that hesed is this notion of loving kindness, of faithfulness. And though this Hebrew word only appears actually a few times in the text, Ruth is known for how it demonstrates and displays this notion over and over again. It's, and maybe this is just an example <clears throat> that works in my life, but it's kind of like if you, if you or maybe someone else in your family leaves a dairy item in your car, no matter how small it is, no matter how few of these dairy items are left in your car, it saturates the entire environment. <laughs> this is how said works throughout the book of Ruth. Now, said this loving kindness also involves an element of covenant, of covenant faithfulness. And when I say covenant, I mean like a devoted promise. So said is more than just emotional faithfulness or feelings of love. It's a deep commitment to the flourishing and the well-being of the other. So today, as we wrap up the book of Ruth, you're like, come on, let's get on. <laughs> this sermon's getting really long. I want to talk more about said about loving kindness, this idea of God's faithfulness in Ruth and the way that Ruth points towards God's greatest act of said, God's greatest act of loving kindness for us. God's greatest act of loving kindness for the entire world. God demonstrated the most radical act of said for us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's get started. We're finally starting. Through the book of Ruth, said actually shows us God's covenant faithfulness as it breaks cultural boundaries. said breaks all the rules. And we've talked a lot about how in the book of Ruth, it's unique in scripture. And I want to propose that the presence of this book in our canon is actually an act of God's has said to us. It's a story about women in the midst of the Bible, which generally speaking, in the Bible, male stories are being told. When we hear the story of a woman, and especially when we hear exclusively about women's experiences, something extraordinary is happening. Now, if you've listened to the proverbial podcast, I told Erin I would plug this. If you've listened to their podcast, this will not be a shocking statement. But the Bible is not only our holy scripture, but it is also a cultural document. Now, that means that it has cultural influences. And most often, when women appear, particularly in Old Testament stories, they are part of a man's story. For example, Miriam is Moses' sister. 
or Rebecca, comes into the story because she's Isaac's wife. Now, this is not a value judgment. This is because these scriptures were written in a culture when it was expected for men to dominate the scene. But the book of Ruth breaks these rules. In fact, women's voices and women's experiences are so dominant in this story that some scholars have seriously considered the possibility of female authorship of this text. That's a crazy and radical suggestion. It's a radical suggestion that's not often made of Old Testament scriptures. And what's important to understand here is that this story that features Ruth and Naomi as the main characters is not making an anti-male statement. It's not some battle of the sexes. Ruth and Naomi are starring in this story because their lives fell completely apart. Do you remember what happened to them? They lost everything in a famine. They are widows which in the ancient world meant, particularly for a woman of Naomi's age, that the rest of her life would be spent in shame and poverty. You see, the Hebrew word for widow, almana, I'm probably saying that wrong, and Percy's here, so he knows, comes from the word silent one, meaning unable to speak. And that actually gives us a really good picture of the position of both Ruth and Naomi. Without a husband or a son or some other male relative to speak and act in her defenses, a woman had literally no voice, no legal rights, no protection from injustice. Naomi and Ruth were now quite literally the weakest members of society. And in that world, they were also required to dress the part. They were identifiable to everyone around them. In the book that much of this sermon series has come from, Carolyn Custis James's book on the Gospel of Ruth, she describes some contemporary examples today. These examples are living examples today of the widow's experience. And I believe it's, called, it's pronounced Vrindavan, India. Excuse me. There is a place known as the City of Widows, and widows numbering in the thousands walk the streets with shaved heads wearing white saris, carrying begging bowls. These women have been discarded by their families, and they are living in abject poverty. She tells the story of one woman who was widowed at the age of 17. She has been walking the streets, enchanting and praying and begging for 40 years. These women have been thrown out of their homes, or they've had to flee vindictive family members. They're often the victims of physical and sexual abuse. One widow said to her, When we were young, we never imagined that this would be our end. I am full of shame when I beg. I think I am from a good family. It is the same, though, with all the widows here. Our usefulness is past. Friends, this was the life that Naomi and Ruth were facing. The cultural boundary that is set for these widows in this place in India was the same cultural boundary that was set for Ruth and Naomi. And yet it is here that we see God's has said, God's loving kindness, God's deep commitment to Ruth and Naomi, 
and how it goes beyond cultural boundaries. Ruth and Naomi became the ones who would creatively and innovatively advance God's purposes for the world. Again and again throughout the scripture, we find that our culture's view of people clashes right up against God's view. And we see this in the book of Ruth. God's view and purpose and has said for these women, for Ruth and Naomi, was light years away from what the culture around them intended. And I think it's important to say, especially in our context, in the East End, where we are often faced with cultural boundaries of race and class and gender, that this wasn't just about the ways that they could be kind to widows or ways to treat them well. God's has said encountered Ruth and Naomi as full image bearers, despite what the culture said about them. The book of Ruth reminds us that God's loving kindness that has said means in part really receiving the truth that identity, particularly female identity and dignity, is not culture-bound and does not change when something in our life changes despite what the culture says. And our culture, friends, assails this left and right. Friends, we live in a culture where female identity is extraordinarily fragile and fragmented. Women are constantly being assessed for whether we are a single mom, whether we're too big or too small, whether we're too loud or too quiet, too old or too young, if we haven't gotten married, if we're divorced, do we work or do we stay home? Do we work too much? Do we do enough around our house? Do we have children or do we want them? What's our sexual history? Do we spend enough time with our kids or our friends? Is my skin too dark or too light? Is it too wrinkly or too saggy? What about my hair? Did I wear this outfit yesterday? I should smile more. I can keep going. There's an extraordinarily narrow window on what is acceptable when we are female. But in the book of Ruth, in featuring Ruth and Naomi, widows, women who the culture regarded as at the absolute bottom of the heap, beyond all cultural boundaries, as the protagonists and as the spokespeople for God, This reminds us that in God's economy, no matter what, women are literally incapable of insignificance. No matter what has gone right or wrong in your life, no matter what side of what issue or question or decision you are on, no matter if you are bitter like Naomi or a foreigner like Ruth, in God's economy, you are accepted and you are significant. What the culture said about Naomi and Ruth was not what God said. God's has said goes beyond cultural boundaries. So has said breaks cultural boundaries in the book of Ruth. And not only does it break cultural boundaries and is revealed primarily in this place, but it's also revealed in relationship and has said is specific in its kindness. I love these glimpses of relationship that we get with Ruth and Naomi because I think they can help us see that Hesed as covenantal loving kindness is really powerful. 
Now, I think many of us have some idea or at least a vague picture of what God's loving kindness is supposed to be. Maybe you have a Bible verse or like a story of some kind. But for many of us, the idea of God's kindness can be really hard to conceptualize. I mean, sometimes it seems like it would be a lot easier if God would just show up on our front porch or in a coffee shop or at our home, if it was more tangible. But in our story and in our text today, said is revealed to us through relationship. And our first example of this covenantal kindness comes when despite her anguish and her despair and her anger and her rejection of Ruth, Naomi receives said from Ruth. Now remember, Naomi is angry and she's sad and she's working really hard to get Ruth to go back to Moab. And once Naomi had lost all the men in her life, she was essentially alone. And in sending back her daughter-in-law, she was doing what made the most sense for those women. And it's at this moment that Ruth says to her, Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. The Hebrew language that Ruth uses here is language of a covenant. It's a promise. And what I want us to see is that Naomi does not do anything to deserve this. She just told Ruth to go home. After Ruth makes this promise to her, the scripture literally says Naomi didn't speak to her. So it's not like Naomi agreed to it. Furthermore, Ruth was her daughter-in-law. Ruth should have obeyed Naomi. But in this cultural boundary-breaking act of faithfulness and love, she extends said to Naomi in this relational and specific promise. I want you to think about moments when you have seen said in your life, where you have seen people show up for you with this kind of covenantal faithfulness. Friends, this said has a fullness that extends beyond charity. It goes beyond what someone should do. said is virtually always this kind of love that is lived out. It's love that has skin on it. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Do we know something about love with skin on it? The right answer is Jesus. <laughs> Friends, this relational specific loving kindness is self-giving. And I want to be really clear about something, particularly for the female experience. said is sacrificial. It's a giving of the self for the other. But it is not a lack of boundaries or living your life only for other people. This is another reason why I think it's so beautiful that we have this book of Ruth as our text for this. In in this book, we see Ruth standing up to Naomi when Naomi tells her to leave. We see Ruth asserting herself in her acts of hesed. A lot of times in our Christian context, we talk about the need for us to give of ourselves, to die to ourselves. The assumption is that we're all too selfish, we're all too prideful. And love means that we need to give up ourselves. We have to be selfless. But I think that there might be a problem when we talk about this universally. It's as though all of us are the same. This doesn't always reflect the female experience. Now, I realize I'm speaking in kind of gendered 
generalizations here, so you just have to forgive me. Um, but many times, the female experience is actually quite the opposite of the male experience. Many women already live a life that's so oriented to others that when we're told to surrender ourselves and serve others, we're just being told to do the thing that we're already doing too much of. So much so that at times there may not be much of a self left to give. And that's not to say that we're not sinful. It's just that our sin patterns might look different. Maybe we aren't overly oriented towards ourselves but we are overly dependent on our others for a sense of ourselves. Maybe there are different temptations to sin. Maybe it's not pride or power, but we're sentimental or underdeveloped in terms of who we truly are. Friends, true has said, true faithfulness, true giving of ourselves required, requires that there be a strength of self for us to give in relationship. Now, I've had this really unique privilege of witnessing Hesed in my group of people that meets at my house every few couple of weeks with these women who have attended faithfully um, at my, in my house church. And I have seen them, and I, their friendships extend far beyond the context of our house church, and I can't look at them or I will cry. Um, <laughs> Um, But I have seen them offer themselves in covenantal loving kindness to one another. And they've offered this through deaths, through relationship strain, through economic hardship. I can go on. And hesed in relationship means offering your strength of self, not making sense of tragedy or pain or poverty, but bearing with one another in the midst of this place and gesturing towards God's loving kindness. I've watched these women be specific and be in relationship. I also saw Hesed, covenantal faithfulness, loving kindness, in um, a different way this past May. Alex and I and some others in this community work um, with a community bail fund. And that work has brought us um, into contact with some other organizations that bail people out who are being held on low cash bails. And a few weeks before Mother's Day, this past spring, one of those organizations asked us to help with a Mother's Day bailout. The commitment of this organization was to bail out incarcerated black women who are in mothering roles in their community. And the purpose of doing this particular bailout was to respond to and to act in faithfulness to these women who have been the bedrock of their own communities. Their definition of motherhood was broad. You didn't have to just be a biological mother. You could be taking care of a parent or a relative or anyone in the community. But these women who have long been overlooked, these women who have long been overworked and overtied, They were the ones who were now being responded to in a way that was excessive, that was specific, and that was loving kindness. The referrals came through relationships, and the act of loving kindness, the hesed, was this free bail. Women were welcomed home and were given a reception, a party, a few weeks later, and were reintegrated into their families and their work lives and their homes. Friends, this is another way that I see Hesed in the world. 
This points to me, to the spe- it doesn't point to me, sorry, it points in my mind to the specific and relational said of God. So finally today, I want to close by reminding us that the said, the loving kindness of God, his covenantal faithfulness in Ruth, gestures towards God's great said for the world. This has said is that we can know and receive eternal life in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, has said is both God's faithfulness in our individual lives and God's faithfulness to the whole entire world. At the beginning of our story from today, Ruth and Naomi knew only that they were facing a terrible journey. They also knew that they were facing it together. We saw Hesed in Ruth's promise, and of course they had no idea what was in store for them. They only knew that they had lost their husbands in a famine. Ruth didn't know that the consequences of her promise to Naomi would be a child whose offspring would be the savior of the world. I say that not to imply that we can wrap up their tragedy with a bow. I say it to remind us all that though catastrophe will come, and it will come, and though we live in a broken world with broken and oppressive systems, and man, are they broken, the book of Ruth reminds us that the good news of the gospel is that we have a God who through the most radical and complete act of Hesed, turned the story of the book of Ruth on its head and has turned human history on its head as well. Friends, Ruth began by taking us into a patriarchal and a violent culture. It was a world that advantaged men by birth and then essentially threw two women to the bottom of the heap. These women were in a place where they could no longer count on food or safety or even life itself. But then God took these two widows, and he has these two widows carry forth his redemptive purposes for the entire world. These redemptive purposes are the same redemptive purposes for you and for me and for all of humanity. And at the end of the book of Ruth, there is a celebrated birth of an unexpected but long-awaited baby boy. But that's not the end of the story. There will be another unexpected but long-awaited baby boy in Bethlehem again. And this baby will be the son of an unwed foreign-born mother. And this baby will grow up and he will dine with criminals and prostitutes and tax collectors and he will break all the cultural boundaries and he will talk about love that is specific and relational, and he will be said for the whole world. And this same baby will be arrested, and he will be humiliated, and he will be executed in public. But, because to our God, there's no such thing as uselessness, or too poor, or too widowed, or too fat, or too ugly, or too old, or too anything, or even too dead, Truly, this is what God does. This executed criminal will rise to life three days later, and our story will be turned around. Friends, in Jesus Christ, God's covenant faithfulness, God's perfect said, came to us and broke all the rules. And now we have eternal life. 
So no matter where you are today, no matter how you feel, what you think, how much or how little faith you have, please remember, our God has offered you said. God is faithful to you to the very end. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you, we praise you, and we welcome your love in our lives tonight. Amen. We're going to transition into a time uh, of response and worship. Uh, If you're part of the prayer team, so if you're a staff or elder or one of the people who are part of our prayer ministry, if you want to go ahead and stand at the walls. Um, One of the things that really has struck me about the Hesed concept as we've been talking about it in the Gospel of Ruth, and then specifically what I feel like Ashley is really hitting on, um, is hopefully what's been happening in your heart is that you've been reminded of times in the past uh, where you have sensed or you've experienced the, the loving kindness of God. But our response to that sometimes um, is to not go back to the source of that loving kindness um, because we feel guilty asking for more loving kindness. But the source of the loving kindness is the one that ha- there is never like, he never runs out of the loving kindness. Um, and I, I think about like that, that very specific person um, who becomes the loving kindness of God and flesh and blood on earth in Jesus. And one of the questions that he consistently asks is, what do you want me to do for you? Like his expression of being loving kindness was to see people who were broken, who were at the end of themselves, who had probably experienced the set of God before. And his response was like, and what more can I do for you? Um, and so Jesus talks about how he, he did not come to have us eat the the crumbs that fall from the master's table, but invites us to sit at the table with him. Um, That's what covenant looks like for us. And so our choir is going to lead us in a time of worship. And uh, as is our tradition at Easton Fellowship, uh, if you would like to receive prayer for anything, if you would like to um, have someone intercede for you, for the one who wants to give said the lo- his loving kindness to you today, we'll invite you to just stand and go to one of the folks who are at the wall. And you can receive prayer for that. And just also want to encourage you in this time of response that you are, you're free to stand, you're free to sit, you're free to kneel, you're free to raise your hands. There's a place of freedom of response and just want to encourage you to be with, with the author of loving kindness today.